0: my pop filter. Okay. Hey, good to see all of you. It's great to see you. My name is Chris. I am one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, Ruben, you did such a good job. That was good, man. Great job. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that story. It actually reminds me of a story. Okay. When I was 14 years old, I had a lawn mowing business. All right. Lawn mowing business. This is how uh, I started uh, my journey towards being a millionaire (laughs) oh that was that was pretty funny okay so actually funny though is actually we made quite a bit of cash for being 14 Um, we had well over 20 lawns we mowed every week and uh, we didn't have to drive very far for them some of them paid as much as 25 dollars for a single mow all right so actually you do the math My friend and I were making pretty good, good cash, and my dad even let us use the lawnmower and paid for all of our gas. Until after the first month, he saw my checking account and said, you're now paying for all of your own gas. That's how that worked out. See, I, I grew up in probably what I thought was a middle-class home. I mean, I really did think, like, we grew, we grew up in a middle-class home. I thought middle-class was your ability to afford a pizza once a month and owned a car, even if it was a 25-year-old Oldsmobile Alero. Yeah, high rolling, all right? Uh, my, my parents split up when I was, uh, I was 12, and man... I just think back of how many hours a week my dad worked. He worked as a radio salesman. He, uh, We lived in Redmond. He traveled all the way to Bend, to Lapine, to Madras, to Warm Springs, uh, to Sisters, to Prineville. He would drive all of this, uh, only be reimbursed gas for half. And man, we we could get like a pizza a month. I thought we were rich when it wasn't Papa Murphy's, but... Figueroa's Pizza. All right? Yeah, exactly. Once you know, you know. Okay? All right. Um, See, I I think back at those times, I was actually afforded many uh, uh, opportunities through the generosity of other people. I played travel baseball and travel basketball pretty much 12 months out of the year. And as I think back, uh, how about that? Do we have parents who paid for their kids' travel sports? Does anybody know what that's like? Oh man, like thousands of dollars. And as I As during that time, I had no idea of, like, Dad, how are we paying for all of this? And it was uh, through the generosity of two people, the Buckley family and the uh, Hilgers family, that pretty much paid all of my travel. They let us stay in a uh, hotel room with them. We could share rides with them to travel to Portland and Seattle and, and Fresno. I mean, they basically made it so I could play sports growing up. Man, and as I think about that, my gratitude is overflowing. I mean, man, here was somebody who was not my mom, who was not my dad, who said, we see this child and we want them to experience this thing. That is called somebody being generous. And what happens? You are thankful. You have gratitude. All right. So we got these two things, lawn mowing business and gratitude of people taking care of me. Um, These things are different. And let me tell you why. When I finished a lawn and I'm dripping with sweat and I walk up to that door, I stink like, well, a 14-year-old boy. Uh, that conjures up all kinds of smells inside of your, your mind and like gas and I go to that door and I knock on that door. I don't say, oh, thank you so much, that's so kind of you. No, what do I think? Give me my money. I worked hard for this. I did a service. You owe me, so you're going to pay me. I had done a job, and I had earned what was given to me. I was not begging. I did the work, and I want my money. See, there's a huge difference in our posture or attitude when we receive what we do not earn and when we demand what we are owed. Those are two different things. The outcome is the same, money, go, money went towards me, but my posture was different. Does that make sense? Yeah. There are a lot of opportunities to earn in this world. We're earning constantly. Effort is, is uh, required to earn a paycheck. We earn interest on investments. We sell possessions, our possessions, and we earn a profit off of those things. Earning is not only a regular part of our uh, economic life, but it's a reality for other areas of our lives as well. Relationships can be built uh, on this. It's quid pro quo. It's uh, what have you done for me so I can give something in uh, exchange? Um, that, is, that is how our world is based. The issue arises when we apply this to our posture towards God. God, I've done something for you, so you owe me. See, some of us have followed and served God for a long time. It can be tempting. It can be tempting to think, Lord, I have faithfully served you. I have given money. I have uh, have served in kids' I've served at a food pantry. I've, I've been praying for a long time. God, you owe me. I've been faithful towards you. You owe me. Some of us have made great sacrifices for the kingdom. We've uh, given money or we've left careers or we've made other sacrifices to participate with what God is doing. See, I've left a career. I have moved towns to follow God. Doesn't God owe me for being faithful to him? See, some of us are very new to following God, and we can see the faithfulness of other people. Man, maybe you're here. Maybe this is your first time sitting in a church. Maybe you're fresh to this Christian faith thing, and you still have a ton of questions. And may, may I be the first person to say, join the club. We still have a ton of questions here. But man, you see other people being faithful to God and think, I can never do that. How am I ever going to earn my way into a relationship with God? I believe Jesus wants to correct these thoughts. See, we're going to go to a wonderful but really confusing passage that has a lot for us to see. That it's our posture not our position that invites us to experience the kingdom of God. It's our posture, the way, the manner in which we come to God, not our position that allows us to experience the kingdom of God. I think Martin Luther said it best. He said this, We are all beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's it. We're all beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. So let's pray. Lord, we give you this time, Lord. We ask that your word does its good and perfect work, that it would transform us, that it would change us. God, not just by wisdom or thoughts or good teaching, Lord. No, we need something bigger. Lord, we ask your word would transform us down to our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. You can turn there inside of your Bible, on your phone, or it will be up on the magic Bible screen right up there. So you can see that. Mark 7, 24. Uh, See, Jesus has this jarring conversation with a Phoenician. Um, uh, On the surface, as we're going to read this, there are some pretty jarring things. It seems like Jesus is saying something racist. We think, he can't possibly be saying that. It seems disrespectful, an out-of-character response from Jesus that causes the reader to scratch his or her head. We read this and go, what in the world could possibly be going on? Jesus seems to be rude. And so we're going to see, I would posit that this is actual, actually the turning point of the gospel of Mark. It's at this point that we see that Jesus wasn't just for the Jews. Okay. Now, m- maybe we have some Jewish people here. Uh, I would say welcome. Most of us in this room would be considered Gentiles. Those who are not, not uh, ethnically Jewish. And this is what's, what's crazy. This point in this story 2,000 years ago sets in motion for the ability for you and I to be sitting in these chairs now. It's crazy what we're going to see here. This is the turning point. It also points us towards the danger of our own ego. Okay, raise your hand if you have a little bit of an, an ego. Okay, those of you who don't have your hands up have a problem with lying, okay? No, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We all do, and so it is a problem. We can feel as though we are deserving or owed something from God, and scripture is going to point to that too. Mark 7, Chapter 20, or Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the, the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian F- F- Phoenicia, Jesus told her, "'First, I should feed my children, my own family, the Jews. "'It isn't right to take food from the children "'and throw it to the dogs.'" Ooh. She replied, "'That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table "'are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates.'" "'Good answer,' he said. "'Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter.'" And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. So let's make a few uh, observations here and make sense of what God's doing here. Then Jesus left uh, left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it. A secret. See, Jesus lives. uh, Jesus is leaving the Jewish town of Galilee. There was lots of Jews who were there. This is an important fact. He is leaving Jewish territory, heading somewhere else where Gentiles were. Um, He had just had a pretty major clash with the Pharisees. Okay, Jesus was always scrapping with the Pharisees. It seems like he was picking a fight or they were picking a fight, but regularly we see him having a hard time with this group. They were the Jewish uh, leaders, the priests of their day. So after questioning and accusing the Pharisees of caring more about man-made rules rather than the rule of love, see, they were mad at him because his disciples were not walking through ceremonial hand-washing. They thought that was wrong. And so he says this. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. All of you listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes in- into the sewer. I don't know, I just found that <laughs> kind of funny. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Okay, This is important. Jesus is saying there, there is no longer ceremonial, unclean Food. Up until this point, it was what you ate mattered. Things were clean or not clean. And right here, Jesus is saying food is not unclean or clean. That's not what you have to worry uh, about here. Hear this. If God can call food clean, what else can he call clean? See, the passage that we read, it, it showed Jesus was trying to get away from the crowd. See, we regularly see Jesus trying to get away from the crowd, or he's in, in, in Mark constantly. It's called the secret gospel because he's always telling them, yo, keep your mouth shut. And man, if you've been touched by, by God, you can't keep your, your mouth shut. You've been transformed. You've been changed. So what happens is he gets more and more Famous. There's not a chance he could keep his presence under wraps. Actually, Mark 3 talks about um, that that Jesus' fame had already spread to this town. He was healing people. He was miraculously feeding people. He was teaching with authority. Jesus was famous. He wanted to get away from the crowd, and that was not going to happen on this day. See, Jesus, the real, unadulterated Jesus, he can hardly be obscured. How many of you know, man, we long for hope. Like our world longs for a hope that's bigger than the stock market or what's going on with COVID or geopolitical stuff, any politics. We long for hope that is something beyond that. We want love. We want forgiveness. We want purpose. Friends, it's all found at the feet of Jesus. It can't be obscured because it's found in Jesus. And hear this. When you're transformed into the image of Jesus, when you follow Jesus, that is attractive to other people. People see that and they tend to ask, what in the world is going on inside of your life? But in a good way. Um, So be transformed. Right away, a woman who heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a... a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia. See, we don't have a reason why this woman um, came to Jesus. We don't know the backstory of how uh, her daughter became possessed. What we do know, hear this, she shows up to a famous Jewish teacher begging him to do something. Have you ever been there? Of like, I don't have any options, I don't know what to do, but I just need to go to Jesus because he's the one who could possibly fix this. So this is where this woman is at, begging him to do something. She was desperate. Jesus was her only hope. Nothing else had been able to help her. See, this woman had the most against her from a Jewish perspective here. Like, she had everything against her. Uh, She was a woman, not seen as, as having lots of rights. A Greek Gentile. She was from an infamous, the infam, infamous pagans of Syrian Phoenicia. That is the land of Canaan. Like this was a Canaanite. And for those of you who don't know, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were always fighting Canaan. That was like the promised land. And so this was seen. She had nothing going for Also that she had a daughter who was possessed by an evil spirit. Jesus shouldn't have even been near her as a Jewish man. And she has the audacity to say, Jesus, I need your help. She shows up in this house asking for his help. Her only qualification for coming to Jesus, hear this, was her need Sometimes we think we need to offer God all of these amazing things. Sometimes in your life, the most beautiful thing you can offer Jesus is your need. Because that's all we have a lot of times. We bring our needs straight to Jesus. See, no doubt Jewish r- readers hearing this story, um, they, they would have thought of another f- Phoenician woman, found in 1 Kings. When the prophet Elijah was without food, this woman shared her last bit of uh, olive oil and flour with him in faith, expecting to die. Not only was the provision miraculously stretched, but her child would experience a miracle as well. There is a long history of God caring about people outside of the Jewish faith. From the first pages of the Bible, we see that just because God was speaking to one group of people didn't mean it was going to expand. It wouldn't expand to the whole world. Sometimes our greatest gift to God and to the church is our need. Now, this next part, this is what is confusing here. Jesus is responding to this woman. He what, He's Replying, He's not calling her a dog. He is telling a parable, which is a normal thing. Jesus is always telling stories that have to do with people. So this is what he says. Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. To be, be called a dog in the Gentile world, Jews were always calling Gentile dogs. It was a derogatory term. And so this is the part of this story that starts to get weird. Like, man, is Jesus calling her a mean name? Is Jesus being rude? I have a few notes. See, Jesus just got done telling the Pharisees that that foods are not unclean. Okay? Okay. When we're reading scripture, we don't don't just read one part of scripture. We have to see what's going on before and after. Jesus just got done saying the food you put in your body doesn't make you clean or unclean. If you would now turn around and not associate with this Phoenician woman, then his last teaching was out of place. If food is no longer unclean, how much would this apply to people? Right? Right? if it's not, if food is now clean, people have to be clean as well. Well, see, he casted out a demon from a Gentile in chapter 5. So he's already been working with Gentiles. He's already tossing bread or food to these so-called dogs. This is what Jesus is already doing. He's already taking care of Gentiles. And right after this, he's going to go in Gentile land and heal a bunch of Gentile people. So, there's that. The Greek word here for dog literally means a little dog. It's not like a street dog. This is like your pet you have inside of your home. My dog's name is my dog's name is Teddy, and he poops on my kid's floor. So, uh, but I still really love him. He's a great dog. So it's more like a family pet. This is the trajectory of the gospel. Okay, God met. Abraham and said, I'm going to create a people. But he said he was going to bless the whole world, including Gentiles. Paul says in the book of Romans, he said this, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Okay. Lastly, okay, just so we're clear that Jesus is not using a racist term here, realize that when this woman responds back, she uses the exact same word for dog. She's not offended by it. She's not put off. She actually responds back inside of the parable here. Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. Whew, crisis averted. We thought Jesus would be super rude, but something else must be going on here. Okay. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps for the children's plate. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Man, her response is so witty and beautiful. She doesn't get offended at what Jesus had said. Even dogs get to eat from the table. Hear this. She wasn't demanding of Jesus. Jesus, you need to act now. I deserve it. I've been here all night. I've waited in line. I got my ticket, and I'm here, and I, w- I want to see the manager, all right? If you're not healing my daughter, I want to see the manager, okay? She wasn't demanding. She came to him with an open heart and submission. See, this same uh, account is found in the book of Matthew, and Jesus, or, and, and this woman actually calls Jesus son of David. She recognized him as the Messiah. This guy was something special. She was honoring towards him. The disciples are regularly seeing fumbling around with their understanding of who Jesus was. And realize, the disciples were all Jews. These were people who who knew, and yet they were fumbling around, who is this man? Regularly saying, this woman, who didn't belong there, who had no right to be there, shows up and says, son of David. She realized he was the Messiah, even when the Jewish disciples that spent every day with him still had had questions. The Pharisees, they're called the yeast that spreads throughout the whole dough. Uh, I don't think I want to be called yeast, like a bacteria that like feeds off of sugar. Actually, that's not too far off. (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) No. Not for me, for you, okay? Don't, don't amen me, okay? Uh, yeah, the yeast that spreads throughout the whole, dough, the whole dough. But this woman, this woman seemed to understand more than everybody else. Uh, I love this, uh, this commentator here. It's James R. Edwards. He says this. Jesus seeks desperately to teach his chosen disciples, yet they are dull don't want to be called that. And uncomprehending. Also, don't want to be called that. Jesus is reluctant even to speak to a walk on pagan woman. And after one sentence, she understands his mission and receives his unambiguous commentation. Uh, the, the account in uh, Matthew actually says, Woman, you have great faith. How is this possible? The answer is that the woman is the first person in Mark to hear and understand a parable of Jesus. The brief parable of the children and dogs at the table has disclosed to her the mystery of the kingdom of God. She is not distant and aloof attempting to maintain her position and control. She does what Jesus commands of those who would receive the kingdom and experience the word of God. She enters the parable and allows herself to be claimed by it, that she answers Jesus from within the parable, that is, in the terms by which Jesus addressed her, indicates that she is the first person in the gospel to hear the words of Jesus to her. See, the last person to fall at the feet of Jesus and make a request of him was Jairus. And maybe you remember this story. His daughter was dying. He was a Jewish leader. He was like a leader of the temple. He was like a Jew, but like above that. Okay? He was smart. He had power. He was seen as clean in Jewish eyes. His daughter was dying. And this Phoenician woman, a Gentile, and a great Jewish leader could not be further apart. But hear this. This is wild. Jesus heals both of their daughters. Someone who's famous, has position, authority, power, is revered by the, by the religious world, and a woman who had nothing going for, her, who showed up on the scene, uninvited, unclean, uh, just undeserving of God's grace, and yet both of their daughters are healed. It's not one's position, but one's posture that invites the mercy of God. It's not your position, it's not how you've been faithful in the past, it's not the life that you've lived, you cannot earn the mercy of God, it's humility that invites the mercy of God into your life. See, we all have a seat at the table, isn't this beautiful? This is what the kingdom of God is, we all have a seat at the table, The Phoenician woman invites you and me to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus asking for his mercy because we need it. We don't deserve it. We are not owed God's mercy. We do not receive God's mercy as a paycheck for our obedience to him. Let me say that one more time. We do not receive God's mercy as a paycheck for being obedient to him. Now, We should be obedient to him. I just thought I would clarify that. But man, wherever you're coming from, God gives you a seat at the table because of your humble posture. Uh, uh, Another commentator notes this. The story of the Greek woman expresses in the simplest and clearest terms the way every human being comes to God. Jesus is still found at the place where we understand our need for God, and realize that we have no right to expect anything at all. In fact, it's at this place that he cannot be hidden. Man, do you have places in your life that you need the mercy of, uh, of God? Where you've come to the end of yourself? Maybe it's a prayer that you've prayed for like a decade now. That you say, God, there is no way for me to earn this. There is no way for me to do this. God, I need you. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your relationship with him of like, God, I cannot clean myself up. But God, I need you. It's, it's, it's here when we understand our need for God and realize we have no right to expect anything at all. Jesus will not be hidden from you. You are invited to participate in this Story. See, there's three different postures, okay? It's, it's not our position, but our posture that invites the mercy of God. So we're going to see three postures here. I'm going to have a few points of application for you, and then we're going to wrap up, I promise, okay? Okay, the first one, the Pharisees. The Pharisees in this are not in the actual story, but if we see in the story that precedes this, Um, This is the posture of the Pharisees. It's this, I know all there is to know. I can't possibly learn anything else new. I know what's going on. I know what God's doing. I know what I should be doing. I know it all. See, the Pharisees thought they they knew what God's unfolding kingdom looked like. They augmented their behavior, thinking their own holiness would bring about God's uh, plan of redemption for the Jews. See, they followed all of the Old Testament commandments and then also they did what they called putting a fence around the law, which literally meant all of these extra things of like, well, how do I Sabbath? Well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that. And they wrote down all of these laws and they memorized them and they followed them. They thought... They could bring about the kingdom by being perfect to all of these laws. Therefore, okay, it makes sense that anyone who strayed from their understanding of what it was to follow God was not only wrong, not just they were doing wrong things, but actually they were holding back the coming of the Messiah. They were holding back the kingdom of God. We can be in danger of this posture, thinking we know what God should do and how God should should do it. God would never heal them. God would never ask me to do that. God would never have me associate with that group. Their pride, think about it. These were the most learned religious people in the world at the time for the Jewish law and they missed out on the son of God literally right in front of their face. Why? Because they had the posture of pride. They thought they knew it all. And when we think we know it all, we miss it. We miss Jesus right in front of our face. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Every single day, the kingdom of God is being poured out inside of your life. We can be in this posture. We can miss what God is doing because of our own pride. Man, I do not want to miss out on what God is is doing. The disciples, they had an interesting posture. Their posture was always this. What about me? What about me? When the woman was in need, what did the disciples do? Jesus, get rid of her. She doesn't deserve to be here. They tried turning her away. They were regularly uh, arguing. There's a story inside of the Gospels that uh, a few of the disciples were arguing who would get a sit on Jesus' right and who would get a sit on Jesus' left. It was always, God, yeah, okay, that's great. Oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. But what about us? That was their regular posture. What about us? God's plan of redemption was beginning to unfold, not just for the faithful Jewish remnant, but to the ends of the the earth. This would send ripples throughout the known world. These people receiving the kingdom of God were not like them. They didn't look like them. They didn't talk like them. They were Gentiles. They were women. They were poor. They were sinners. Even part of the disciples was a dirty tax collector. The worst of the worst. He may have been a Jew, but he was like the worst Jew there could possibly be. And so, man, this starts to mess with their faith, and I think it messes with our faith, too. We start to think, like, like man, I don't, I don't know about them. We can be in danger of this posture when we put limits on what it looks like to be Christian. All this woman had Literally, all this woman had was a need and the audacity to bring that need to Jesus. That was her only qualification for following him on that day. We don't know anything else. This is wild. We don't know what her economic status is. Uh, we don't know her political party uh, affiliation. We don't know whether uh, she, she listens to NPR. We have no idea. We have no clue. Does she deserve it? I don't know. But her qualifications were she had a need and she had the audacity to bring it to Jesus. And so, friends, if your qualification for following Jesus today on Sunday morning is a need and the audacity to bring it to Jesus, you're in good company. Because the disciples would miss out. When we think the kingdom of God and even these religious services are about our preferences, our political views, our choices of music, we miss out on what God, is, what God is doing. It's not about us. It's always about others. And that's the trajectory of the Christian faith. Does God meet us? Does he fill our needs? Absolutely. But only for the reason to overflow onto the rest of the world. God loves your neighbor just as much as he loves you. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Third posture. uh, The the, uh, woman. Her posture was this. Whatever you have for me. See, her request. She didn't want the whole sandwich. She didn't want, like, the loaf of bread. She was okay with crumbs. Whatever's left over. Whatever you can possibly spare. She didn't think she had it all figured out. She had nothing to bring to Jesus, not her wisdom, her position, or even her faithfulness. Realize, she's walking in the door. She did not have a long history of like relational, spiritual equity to make a request of Jesus. She had none of that. She just walked in. She wasn't asking to sit on Jesus' right or or left. She wasn't asking to take what was for the Jews. She was begging for the kingdom to tumble from the table, not even for her own sake. This is wild. She had the audacity, not even for her, but for someone else, for her daughter. She wasn't even making a request for herself. It was for her daughter. Her humble and unselfish posture left her to be the only one who had truly experienced the kingdom of God. Of God. Hear this. She was the only one to actually understand what a parable said. The, the, the disciples were constantly like, so what does that mean? <laughs> and yet she didn't even only understand it. She went into the parable and actually taught from it when we are willing to receive whatever crumbs, uh, God might, might give us no strings attached, no com- preconceived notions. We truly get to participate in the kingdom of God. I love this. John, John the Baptist later in his, uh, ministry life, uh, Jesus was on the scene. See, John the Baptist was first. Um, and, uh, And he had disciples following him as he was pointing towards the Messiah is here. He is coming. And some of his disciples started to leave him and go follow Jesus. And this is what he says. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from uh, heaven. I love that. Whatever you have for us, Lord. Let's all embrace our position as beggars just trying to help other beggars find bread. I have a few points of uh, application for us. Um, spend some quiet this week. When we come to Jesus, we often come with him with requests for things. But sometimes, you know, we got like, to be like David in the Psalms who says, search me and know me, God. I want you to do this. Is there an area of your life that you feel like you are owed by God? And I say that in a humble posture. I know there there are people in this room who who are experiencing real hardship that feels unfair, that feels like this should not be this way. And I want to be sensitive to that, but I also want to invite Jesus in because the enemy of our souls wants us in a posture that we think God owes us because that can destroy relationship. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Two, Uh, more reflection here. Is there a person or people group that you feel are undeserving of God's mercy? Um, It can be inner postures. They deserve it. They should make better choices. And I have a thought for you. Uh, Coming up in the fall, Alpha is just around the corner. You're it, show up at uh, Alpha. Help serve there. We have a lot of spots open to serve. We have table hosts. We have table helpers. We have childcare, food team, um, uh, or maybe you would like to go to Alpha yourself. Maybe you have a neighbor or a friend you want a safe spot for them to uh, to their, for them to discuss matters of faith. Uh, I would I would encourage you show up. You're going to meet a lot of people not like you it's beautiful. Every time I go through it, it expands my view of what the kingdom is. God is calling all people, not just those who look like you. And it's beautiful. So sign up for that. Three, how are you showing other people where to find bread? Uh, Every week now, we're inviting people to serve, okay, or attend Alpha or serve there. Uh, Sign up as a greeter. Sign up for our kids' team. When we freely receive with gratitude, we are more likely to freely give with gratitude. And that goes both ways. Does that make sense? When we have gratitude, we can freely give. All right. Likely, there are some things in our lives that disqualify us from sitting at the feet of the great Jewish teacher and Messiah. We've made mistakes. We've been unfaithful. We don't live up to our espoused values. yet Jesus invites all of us to come to him with a humble, with a humble posture, to receive the kingdom of God. Friends, give me a crumb from the table of Jesus than then a whole sandwich from this world. right? Like I just want a crumb from the king's table. Imagine what it would be like if you and I were committed to receiving whatever God had for us, whatever God has, in humility and inviting others to do the same. No one is left out. No one is unseen. No jealousy, no envy, no demands, just Jesus people receiving the kingdom of God, whatever that might be in our lives for this day, and inviting other people to do the same. It's absolutely beautiful. This is the type of community I want to be a a part of. Man. Now, uh, I'm going to close in prayer here, and then uh, I'm going to call... our Stephen ministers, our pastors forward, uh, prayer team, we're going to have people to be able to pray for you. And I want to encourage you, You, if you have a need, your worship of Jesus flows out of your need. That is your only offering to God is his mercy in a humble posture. I want to invite you, come forward. We have teams that are ready to pray for you. And I don't care. Look, if you've been praying for the same thing, if, if you put a prayer request in every week and it's the same thing, Praise God. We're going to pray again and again, asking God to do something. So um, as I close, prayer team, come, come forward, and I invite you. Do not leave here without receiving prayer. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for what you're doing, God. God, we receive whatever you have for us. Lord, you are not just our Savior. Lord, you are our Lord and our King, and we submit to you, your will and your ways, Lord. God, we are at your feet begging for your mercy, Lord. God, and these things that need to be worked out inside of our heart, we can't do that by ourselves, Lord. Not only does your Holy Spirit point towards those things, but you actually heal us too. So, Lord, we are at your mercy. Shape us and mold us into the image of your Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, friends. Well, we will catch you next week. Feel free to hang out in the lobby out there, meet a new friend, come forward for uh, prayer, and we will see you next week. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks.